Good morning. Welcome to episode seven of the XRP podcast. My name is James Herbie, and I'll be your host for the episode today. Our topic today is going to be a detailed look at Libra, the new Facebook uh, cryptocurrency, what its uh, mission and white paper are offering for its services and mission, and some of the practical realities that adoption of Libra and its proof of concept are going through at the moment. Now, if you're not familiar with Libra, Libra is L-I-B-R-A, Libra. That is the new uh, cryptocurrency that is being developed at the moment by Facebook. Over the summer, uh, Facebook released a white paper about Libra as its first foray into the cryptocurrency and digital asset marketplace. Libra's mission is to develop a global currency and financial infrastructure that empowers the billions of people around the globe that are what we call unbanked. If you've never heard that phrase, unbanked, what that means is the approximately one and a half billion people in the world that don't have access to a traditional bank or the financial system as we know it. At the moment, we have about half a billion people in the world with internet access, and about 1 billion people with mobile phone technology, and about 2 billion people that have no connection to the financial system as we know it. So there's a large population of people, about 40% of the globe, that <clears throat> Facebook's Libra cryptocurrency is conceptually designed to apply to. Now, when you look at the financial system, when we talk about the unbanked population, what we're really talking about are people that live in parts of the world that either lack um, internet and broadband infrastructure, or that may just live in communities that have not embraced um, some of our modern technologies. Uh, these can be anywhere from the continent of Africa and Asia to even uh, rural and poverty areas here in the United States. So it is a global problem, and one that uh, Facebook is attempting to get a foothold in. Now, one of the problems that we have with the financial system as it exists, when we're talking about people in lower middle class or poverty, is that a disproportional amount of their income or their money goes towards service fees. It could be anything from ATM charges to overdraft fees at your bank to wiring costs at outfits like Western Union. It can even be payday loans. When you're talking about uh, lower income people and even something, an amount as low as a couple hundred dollars can have a large proportion of that amount be taken up just in service fees. That's one of the uh, positive impacts that cryptocurrencies and blockchains have brought to the forefront is being able to reduce that amount of fee cost to middle class and lower income people. Now, we've, we've talked a lot about Ripple and... Um, other blockchains, 
And there are some characteristics of those that are common across uh, blockchain and uh, the technology. One commonality is distributed governance. That means that no single entity or no single organization controls the network that the blockchain exists on. Another attribute of blockchains that is very positive is that they're open access. If you have an internet connection and a public blockchain, you can access that technology and participate in the network. Even another positive aspect of blockchains and cryptos are the security they provide through cryptography. So the distributed governance, the open access, and the ability to provide cryptographic security are all positive elements of existing blockchain systems. But we still have not reached mass market adoption of blockchain technology. It's something that is still developing. A problem that we do see with some blockchains and cryptocurrencies are that they are very volatile. Their values go up and down based off of uh, speculation and they are not scalable. Scalability means the ability to maintain your performance on the blockchain as more users come onto the platform. That's one big problem that we've seen with some of our modern blockchains as they develop is the inability to scale. So now that we have kind of just a general uh, background and context for our discussion, Let's dive in a little bit more in terms of what Libra is and what they're trying to achieve. Facebook, as you know, is the world's largest social media platform. It has about a, a billion and a half users. It's used for anything from uh, sharing photos to events to coordinating activities to marketplaces of goods. It's got a large uh, umbrella of services that it provides to the users. Now, one thing that Facebook is, is counting on is they believe that they can translate their user base into a, an audience for a cryptocurrency specific to their platform. And that is where Libra comes in. The goal of Libra, again, if you read their white paper's mission statement, is they want to be a global currency providing a financial infrastructure for billions of people. Now, that's a, that's a, a large goal, and there are some um, components of that that they have to achieve to be able to meet their end goal. One is that their blockchain has to be secure and reliable and scalable. It also has to be backed by collateral and reserve assets. What that means is that for the, for the Libra cryptocurrency to have any value, you have to have assets that, are, that act as collateral behind the asset. You can't just create it out of thin air and give it value. You have to, it has to be tied to some kind of asset. And the, the other aspect of it is, who's going to govern the ecosystem that the Libra blockchain and uh, digital asset are going to operate on? 
These are all concerns that Facebook is trying to address and are the topics that we're going to try to address in our um, episode today. Now, Facebook has created within their white paper an entity called the Libra Association. This is a, an independent, not-for-profit, that is designed to provide a uh, group of members across a variety of uh, industries to basically govern how the Libra ecosystem and marketplace will operate once it's adopted in, uh, hypothetically, in 2020. So when we look at the people that are involved initially in the Libra project, it is a who's who of heavy hitters. There are six different uh, industries that Facebook has tapped into for the initial organizations participating in the Libra project. The first industry that they have access is the payments industry, where we see uh, big companies such as Visa, MasterCard, Stripe, and PayPal. In technology, we have entities such as Lyft, Uber, Spotify, eBay, and Facebook as companies in the technology industry participating in the project. In venture capital, as far as some of the initial investors in the project, we have big funds such as Anderson Horowitz, Breakthrough, Ribbit, and Thrive. And then we also have several nonprofit organizations and academic institutions such as Kiva, Mercy Corps, and Creative Destruction Labs. So there are a lot of very big, well-known, respected companies and organizations that are participating in the uh, initial rollout of Libra. Now, one of the things that people are trying to uh, understand is why exactly is Facebook trying to enter the digital asset market? Why do they want to be involved in crypto anyways? There's two angles that we're going to talk about, about why Facebook is looking to get into the uh, crypto marketplace. We're going to take it. We're going to discuss first the economic implications of Facebook's uh, efforts. One of the, uh, the untalked about part about Facebook is that they have a suite of communications platforms that are uh, very prevalent in modern smartphone technology. Uh, I, the three that are most commonly used are Instagram, WhatsApp, and the Messenger. Now, one of the things that uh, Facebook is looking to do is they're looking for new ways to monetize their very popular communications platforms. One way to do that is to create a currency that can be used natively on those platforms. And that's where Libra comes into play. Users of Instagram, WhatsApp, and Messenger can use the Libra currency to transfer value between other users without having to go out to third-party services. It allows financial transactions to stay within the Facebook ecosystem. The second portion is the regulatory aspect. 
in the last uh, 12 to 18 months, Facebook has faced uh, very severe pressure from uh, not only the United States government, but other worldwide entities such as the European Union, uh, Australia, and other uh, governmental bodies that have grown concerned about the way that Facebook handles its user, user data. There are several cases where Facebook has, has been found to negligently uh, caretake their users' personal and private data, whether it's through uh, hacks or selling user data to third-party companies. Facebook has been fined in many cases, been subject to congressional hearings, and have had a lot of negative publicity come their way towards the company and their platforms in the last year or two. What Libra would allow them to do is it would allow them to have their users conduct transactions, again, within their own ecosystem, away from that regulatory oversight. So those are the two, the two angles that a lot of people, when you're looking at Libra and why face, what their motives are, the economic and the regulatory. The economic to monetize their communication platforms and the regulatory aspect, which allows them to uh, use their platform and their user data in ways out of the purview and the watchful eye of certain regulatory bodies. So now that we have a little bit more, more of a context about where Facebook's coming from, you know, why is there such a big deal about the Libra currency itself? Well, the fact of it just comes down to just the, the size and the presence of Facebook in the global economy. It's the, high, it's the largest and highest user-based social media platform in the world. It's got many users that do not have access to a traditional financial system. And a cryptocurrency created and operated by Facebook through their Libra uh, cryptocurrency and their organization, the Libra Association, allows them to control and gain access to all of their user data and transaction history, similar to what Amazon does when people order online. What it allows Facebook to do is it allows them to get even more, <clears throat> excuse me, more information about their users and how they interact with each other online. We'll briefly talk now about some of the technical aspects of the Libra blockchain and how they compare to uh, some of the existing technology out there. Uh, there's three parts that we'll, we'll talk about. The first is the programming language that the Libra blockchain will use. Uh, in the white paper, Facebook has indicated that they will use the Move programming language on the Libra blockchain. That's an interesting development because Move is a um, programming language that is based in uh, smart contracts. Uh, smart contracts are self-executing transactions that are um, created through code. And Move is a uh, adaptable programming language. What we mean by adaptable is that it takes... Um, uh, the history of smart contracts on the blockchain and adapts its language to avoid discrepancies or security incidents that may have arisen 
in the code of a smart contract on the chain. That does help uh, with security and um, and hacking by being able to adapt and uh, move around uh, previous vulnerabilities that arise uh, on the chain. Secondly, is that the Libra blockchain um, is not uh, a proof of work, but rather uses the a consensus approach called uh, Byzantine fault tolerance or BFT. Uh, that is a consensus protocol that's designed to function even when some of your uh, validator nodes on the network uh, uh, fail. Uh, if you're familiar with blockchain technology, distributed ledger technology, uh, consensus protocols should be familiar to you. I'd encourage you to read up on them uh, if you're unfamiliar. But the Byzantine Fault uh, is a consensus protocol that does allow for the network to continue to operate and function when some of the nodes or the validators on the network go down or are compromised. And thirdly, the uh, Libra blockchain is what we call pseudo-anonymous. Pseudo what that means is that a user can actually hold two or more addresses on the blockchain that are not linked to each other. So you can have one uh, private uh, key identity while having multiple public key identities out on the blockchain. So those are some of the technical components of the blockchain. And to wrap up, we're going to talk about uh, a couple of the concerns that have arisen with the release of the white paper and the um, uh, development of the Libra Association and the cryptocurrency. Now, what you're going to see is if you um, pay attention to some of the, the recent developments, there are basically three common criticisms that have arisen about uh, Libra and Facebook's involvement in it. One is the concern about data privacy. Facebook does not have a very good recent record of protecting their users' data in a good, secure way. They've been fined uh, great amounts for selling user data to third-party companies and allowing unauthorized access to their user databases. So one, con one great concern is if Facebook can't keep its users' social media data secure, why should we trust them to keep our financial data and transactions secure? And that's a very valid concern. Number two is that the blockchain is not open to the public. It's what we call a permissioned blockchain. A blockchain like Bitcoin or Ethereum, a public blockchain is what we call permissionless. If you have internet and a screen, you can access and download the blockchain and participate on its network. You have, you have to be a user on Facebook and submit to their rules and regulations to be able to participate on the Libra blockchain. That's another concern and a criticism about Libra and its ecosystem. And thirdly, there is a concern that Libra is actually a centralized cryptocurrency. The entire ecosystem is governed at the moment by the Libra Association that we referenced earlier. And while there are a lot of different entities 
involved in that association. It still is just one governing body controlling the ecosystem. In recent days, we have actually seen some of those concerns about the centralization come to bear as PayPal, one of the original uh, members in the technology wing of the Libra Association, has for the moment withdrawn their presence on the Libra Association board. So whether or not other uh, companies or organizations will follow suit remains to be seen, but there has been some validity to that concern. So we've covered a lot of different topics about Libra and Facebook and the blockchain uh, component. And what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and wrap up now about uh, our discussion today. In the, in, in the coming months, we will uh, keep track and update our listeners about developments about Libra and Facebook's role in the crypto marketplace. And it remains to be seen how their presence will impact other large market cap coins such as XRP, Bitcoin, and Ethereum, and how they may or may not interact uh, in the coming months and years. So again, I'd like to uh, thank everybody for listening today to episode seven of the XRP podcast. You can find us on YouTube at XRP podcast, on Twitter with the handle podcast XRP. If you have any comments or inquiries about topics, you can email us at podcast XRP at gmail.com. Again, my name is James Herbie. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for episode eight, which will be out on Wednesday. Have a good day and enjoy. And thank you for listening.